If you've experienced a DNA surprise, you know that your emotions can range from shock to denial to grief to anger to confusion to joy and around again. And sometimes it's hard to find people who understand this unique experience. Sometimes we feel a little stuck as we navigate this journey. That's why we created the DNA Surprise Retreat. At the DNA Surprise Retreat, you'll enjoy six expert-led sessions to help you process your DNA surprise. You'll eat delicious catered meals, and most importantly, you'll build beautiful friendships with people who understand you, all in a stunning private ranch facility in the Arizona desert. If you've had shocking DNA test results, know that you're not alone. This retreat is for you. Join us September 19th through the 22nd, 2024 in Phoenix, Arizona. Registration is open now. Reserve your space at dnasurpriseretreat.com. I'll see you there. I'm I'm old enough and and wise enough I'd like to I'd like to say um, to know that you can't force relationships mm-hmm. and that um, you know I I don't ever go where I feel I'm not fully welcomed and while I've not been rejected by the uh, the donor's family uh, I've not been embraced necessarily. And uh, I don't know, I'm listening to your stories about, you know, families where the family of origin rejects them and then the family, the found family rejects them. And sometimes, you know, it's best to just leave well enough alone and to be grateful for the information that they have provided. Imagine spitting into a tube, sending off your DNA and unknowingly turning your life upside down. For me and thousands of others, this is our reality. I'm your host, Alexis Auerselt. In July of 2021, I discovered that I am an NPE, someone who has experienced a non-paternal event. In other words, my biological father isn't who I thought he was. This podcast shares the journeys of people who were shocked by a DNA discovery, mostly through modern DNA testing. We're telling the stories of NPEs, adoptees, and donor-conceived people and their families. This is DNA Surprises. DNA Surprises often shake the very core of what we believe our identities to be. In this week's episode, Lori shares how she went from believing she was the only child of two concentration camp survivors of the Holocaust to learning she is one of at least six siblings half of whom were born as the result of assisted reproduction. Lori always knew her parents went to a fertility doctor, but she had no idea that she was donor-conceived. She shares how she learned of her donor conception, who she is connected with, and how this has changed her perspective of her parents and identity in mostly positive ways. Thank you for sharing your story, Lori. My name is Lori. I am nearing my 70th birthday, 
and I'm in Washington, D.C. I was born to two concentration camp survivors. I'm a child of survivors of the Holocaust. And I was a very wanted, very loved only child. The, the Holocaust was heavily a part of me. I think it, it couldn't not be. My normal was not like anybody else's normal. I thought all adults had numbers tattooed on their left forearms. And that when I grew up, I would get my numbers as well. Oh, wow. I thought everybody's father awoke in the middle of the night screaming. And that, I mean, that was, that was my normal. I didn't know if grandparents were a thing or not. I didn't know anybody who had any. Maybe they were just a thing on TV. Mm. So I guess my, my life was uh, as normal <laughs> as, as could be under those circumstances until I was 12 years old and my mother died suddenly and unexpectedly leaving me with a father who barely spoke English and who was a man of very few words to begin with, and even fewer after uh, we lost my mother. Mm-hmm. So, um, But I always knew that I was the most important thing in his world. The sun rose and set by me, and uh, there was never any doubt in my mind that these were my parents. Did your parents talk to you about what happened, you know, during the Holocaust? Did they share any of that? Or was it just something that you knew of, but wasn't spoken about? It was spoken about in, in Yiddish. Um, English was not my first language. My, the language in my home was Yiddish. Mm. When my parents would get together with their friends, we children would know that when the parents switched to Polish, that was the time that they expected that we would leave the room because Polish was the language we didn't know. Mm. So I picked up what I picked up just from living with it. And it was not a full story by any means. And the story pretty much shut down when my mother died. So there was not much talking after that about much of anything. So fast forward many decades, DNA testing became a thing. I decided, you know, I'm going to take this ancestry test. Maybe I'll find descendants of anybody else in the family who survived. Maybe they changed their names. Maybe they got new identities. But, you know, through DNA, maybe I would find descendants of other family members. Each of my parents was the only survivor of what had been large families. On my father's side, there were distant cousins. And my mother recalled um, that she had an aunt who uh, left Europe in the late 1800s and who settled in New Jersey. That aunt, on learning that she only had one survivor um, left of her entire European family, sponsored my parents to come Um, to the U.S. So I had that one elderly aunt, and I had some distant cousins on my father's side, but really no family in my day-to-day life. Maybe I could find family, some kind of family, through ancestry. The test came back and made no sense to me whatsoever. I did find a descendant of my mother's aunt, who I knew was a second cousin, 
um, as I was growing up. So I knew the test was partially accurate, but mm-hmm. who, who are all these other people? And who is this very close relation who I don't recognize at all? So it turned out to be a, a woman who, um, you know, who I Googled and, you know, found a, a photo of, and I saw a resemblance. Mm. But I had no idea how we could possibly be related. Ancestry indicated that it was either a grandparent-grandchild relationship, but I could tell by this woman's photo that we were contemporaries, so that wasn't it. Same thing with an aunt or a, um, or a niece. And no, I, I couldn't see that either. In my early understanding of DNA, which was very limited, Uh, I did not think I had access to any of my father's um, lines because I didn't have any male relatives on that side whose haplogroup I could identify with. So Mm -hmm. I initially thought I was looking at only my mother's line, and it made no sense to me. If my mother had been pregnant, if this had been a half-sibling, which was the other option, if my mother had been pregnant, I certainly would have known it. And she certainly never would have relinquished a child, ever. Right. I always knew that my parents had been to a fertility specialist. I was uh, a very loved, wanted child. I was born eight years after my parents married, and I was the only one. I used to pine for an older brother. Well, if you don't have one by the time you're born, you're not going to get one. Right. (laughs) Right. So my mother would talk to me about her previous miscarriages. And in my child's mind, I would envision that that would have been my older brother or another would have been an older sister. She had had several miscarriages. Okay. All right. So I figured that test was a fluke. So you just thought it's a mistake. Was the ethnic breakdown what you anticipated? A hundred percent. One hundred percent. I am 100% Ashkenazi Jewish from uh, Eastern Europe. And this made sense to me. This still makes sense to me. Also, the woman who was identified as a potential half-sibling was also 100% Ashkenazi Jewish. And I saw a physical resemblance, but I reached out to her. We exchanged, I don't know, one, two, two messages maybe. Neither one of us could figure this out. We had nothing in common, except we kind of had a physical resemblance. We were both born and raised in the same state, and we um, were both 100% Ashkenazi Jewish, but nothing else made sense. So we both figured, eh, must be an error. So you accepted that it was a, a, a fluke. You thought, hey, my ethnic breakdown is exactly what I anticipated. And I found the one second cousin descended descended from my mother's side. Mm-hmm. And so I knew it wasn't an entire fluke. Right. But you mentioned that you knew your parents had seen a fertility doctor. What happens next? So the pandemic takes hold and we're all locked down. And I decided, you know, I've got the time now. I've got the bandwidth. I'm going to take a different DNA test. So I took a 23andMe test. The results arrived on December 21st, 2021. 
it indicated that I had a half sister completely different than the first individual from the ancestry test. This was a completely different individual. And this was identified specifically as a half sister. She contacted me immediately and wrote, you must be as surprised as I was to learn that we're half sisters. And then she went on to explain that she also thinks it's probably an error in the test, unless, and then she went on to tell me that she had tried to get her father to take a DNA test for for years, and he kept refusing. And she couldn't understand why. He's a doctor, he's a medical professional, he knows what this is, what is there to be afraid of? And then he finally acknowledged to her that, well, back in 1952, he had donated sperm three times. It was before he met her mother, And as soon as he met her mother, he stopped donating and gave it not a second thought. And now that he knows that DNA testing is a thing, now he does not want to know what came of it. Oh, wow. Then she tells me her father is still alive. Now, I'm almost 70 years old. My, My mother died when I was 12. My father died when I was 26. To learn that I have a parents still alive and about to turn a hundred years old was mind-boggling. What was your reaction? I mean, aside from what I can only imagine is shock to learn that the fertility doctor that your parents went to had used. Do, Do you think that your parents knew? That's the question I've been mulling over since December 21st, I don't see how they could possibly know. Danny Shapiro's book, Inheritance, which I'm sure you've come across, mm-hmm. pretty much describes what my parents underwent, which was the fertility specialist would mix the husband's sperm with the donor's sperm so that there could be plausible paternity on the part of the husband and plausible deniability on the part of the donor. There was no way back then to know which little swimmer made it up to the egg. There was no way to know. My parents had they conceived me and I was born and I'm healthy. And my father had a cousin um, also experiencing fertility issues. And he sent his cousin and wife to the same fertility specialist. I was five years old. I remember They would come to our home, which was closer to the fertility doctor's home. They would go into my parents' bedroom. They'd close the door. And a while later, they would rush out because they had to get to an appointment right away. And even Mm -hmm. as a five-year-old, I knew that this was not an ordinary social visit. They they would visit us socially and stay for coffee. But mm, no, these daytime visits were very odd. Mm -hmm. And... They turned out not to um, have been successful conceiving that way, but they did adopt. But Danny Shapiro's book describes that exact process where the donor would be in like the next room and the couple would have had relations immediately before running to the doctor. And then the doctor would insert the donor's donation and there was no way of knowing who the father actually was until fast forward many decades. And wow. here we are. So it made all the sense in the world to me as soon as she said that her father had donated sperm. Mm-hmm. 
was she receptive to you? Was she open? Um, you know, considering this was her, her raised father. Yes. Was she happy to learn about a sibling? She explained that she and her two brothers were very curious about me. And then she offered um, medical information, which was very helpful. And so we corresponded a couple times. We Zoomed. We spoke on the phone once. We Zoomed once. And now, having exchanged enough information, it seems to, the, the connection seems to have dropped off. And I have to respect that. The mm -hmm. brothers are very protective of their father. Their father is extraordinarily embarrassed that any of this came to light because nobody can think of sperm donation without thinking of the action that led to it. Mm. What I learned was that my sperm donor, I don't know what to call him. That's what I've been. That's what he is in my mind was looking to uh, fund equipment for his new medical office. He was a newly minted physician himself. He was not, certainly not the fertility doctor, that I know for sure. He had a completely different specialty, but he, he did it for money. I would have liked to have thought there was something altruistic yeah. in, in his helping this struggling couple of Holocaust survivors to produce a child, but no, he did it for the money. How does that make you feel? I think I'm neutral about that. I mean, I'm extraordinarily grateful to him for my life. And I have no choice but to respect his wish to not go there. Does he know about you? He does. I asked my half-sister to convey to him my gratitude. And she did. And apparently, um, at 100 years old, he's, uh, he's healthy but cranky. <laughs> <laughs> and his response you know, to her saying that I was grateful, you know, his response was, for what? So he's still very testy about anybody knowing uh, his part of this. So you haven't spoken to him directly? I have not, and I, and I will not. I will honor um, the wishes of the brothers to protect their father from, you know, any embarrassment or discomfort or anything. I'm extraordinarily grateful to know that he's still alive. Yeah. I had always thought that because my parents died young, that I was just destined to die young as well. Now to find out that I have a parent who's 100 years old and that, oh my God, I might live longer is an incredible revelation. And what a gift. Yeah. What a gift. In fact, uh, when I told my sons about this, uh, one of their react, one of them reacted by saying, "Wow, we've just got a huge, we've just gotten a huge upgrade in longevity." <laughs> That's true. And my other son, he was sensitive to uh, what he felt was a an invasion of privacy of the parents involved. Mm. And so, just having those two reactions enabled me to balance my own reaction. Yes, this was good news in terms of longevity, but be very respectful of not, not inserting myself into a family that thought it was complete, that knew it was complete. Mm -hmm. I will be grateful just for the knowledge that I've received. Yeah, that's a that's a really interesting perspective. Did they learn of so I know that you matched on ancestry with another sibling, but did 
they know of other siblings? They did not until I told them that I uh, I think I have found the other two families. The one who I thought had a physical resemblance to me. Mm-hmm. And there was another half-sister who I've learned ha- uh, died in 2008. How do I know? Her son pops up on Ancestry as my half-nephew. So I Googled her, and yep, she was from the same area and about the same age, and her son is my half-nephew. Because they were on Ancestry, and my half-sister who was raised by the sperm donor was on 23andMe, and I was the only one on both platforms I'm the only one with the knowledge of who everybody is. I have not yet told the ancestry families what I've learned because I'm not certain if it's my story alone to tell. Mm. In other words, yeah. in other words, if I received out of the wild blue a, a message from somebody giving me the information that I would have given this other family, I would have insisted on like, well, how do you know this? And I would have wanted to contact the family of the donor. So I told my 23andMe half-sister about the others. And I asked her, "What? this is her story as well as mine. What do we do about these other families who don't know? And that's when she ran it by the brothers. And they, I think that they felt that, well, they've determined that I am neither an axe murderer, nor do I want anything from them. And so (laughs) I'm safe. But who knows about these other two families? Maybe they shouldn't press their luck. So they did not express much interest in knowing who the other families were. And so here I am sitting with this information, not knowing, do I tell them or not? And I still don't know the answer to that. Hence my my obsession with listening to your podcast. (laughs) So you mentioned that you exchanged a couple of messages with your half-sister that you matched with on Ancestry. Now that you know this reality, have you contacted her to just build any more of a relationship or are you completely leaving it until you decide what you're going to do? I'm leaving it. I don't trust myself not to blurt out what I know. So let me not <laughs> put myself in a position where I have to you know, very carefully curate what I say. So, uh, so no, I've not reached out. I see her on Facebook. Um, we're not Facebook friends. I just see her public profile. Yeah. I don't know that she has the level of curiosity that I had. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what I would say to her. Maybe suggest she take the 23andMe test and then see what it says for her. But I pretty much have pieced together our collective story. Have you considered that you might have some other siblings out there? I've considered, although I have no reason to doubt what the donor said about having donated three times. So Mm -hmm. he raised three children with his wife, and then I am one of, of his three donations. The ancestry woman who I think looks like me is another one, and the deceased one whose son comes up as my half nephew is the third one. So that's the product of his three donations. So I have no reason to doubt mm-hmm. that he stopped donating when he met their mother and the timing of all of this works out, except that I think I don't have any older siblings. The children he raised are all younger than me. Right. 
And I honestly don't know about the, uh, the other two families from Ancestry. They're basically my contemporaries. How has this surprise affected your view of your parents, positively or negatively? Oh, completely positively. It just makes me love my parents even more because they went to the ends of the earth to bring me forth. Yeah. And I, I honestly don't know if my father ever even considered. I mean, both of my parents, what they endured during the Holocaust, and then to come and find out that they were um, fertility challenged, and then to, to forge ahead and, and find a solution to that, my admiration for them is just knows no end. And my love for them just knows no end. I hope, I hope I provided them with the joy that they sought. More than joy, with the continuation of their, their lines. I, I had always felt that I was the weakest link in what had been very strong chains. In that, you know, my parents each came from large families. The families were murdered. My parents survived and produced only me. And I was that weakest link in what had been generations and generations and generations of people before me. And now there was a big burden kind of on my shoulders to carry forth. And now to find out that, you know, rather than being a product of trauma from both sides of my family, it's like my, my trauma has been reduced by half. My inherited, my inherited trauma, because the sperm donor's side fled Europe in the 1880s mm. and built a huge life in, in America. And in fact, it's now a very large family. And boy, was I surprised to find that I had not just this one second cousin on my mother's side, but I have 5,006 second cousins on the sperm donor's side. Oh, wow. That is a huge family. Most of them are in the U.S. Um, some are still in Europe, which kind of surprised me. So with these 5,006 second cousins that I've just learned I have, um, some of them started contacting me saying, hi, I see you popped up as a second cousin. Let's explore how we're related. Well, I know exactly how we're related, and I can't tell you. <laughs> um, mm. So that, that's been a little awkward. So I reached out to the half-sister who was raised by the sperm donor, and I said, well, your family is starting to contact me now. I want to be respectful. What would you suggest? And she responded that, you know, you don't have to answer. And so I've not answered any of the outreaches, but I think that after the sperm donor passes, I think I'm going to revisit my approach to all of this. I'm going to respect while he's alive, his wish to not go there. Mm -hmm. But I think after he passes, all bets are off. It's my story to tell. Yes. And it's their story as well that they don't need to be ashamed of. So in the meantime, are you doing anything to feel connected to your genetic father's side, whether just learning more about their family history or... Yes, yes, yes. So mm -hmm. um, 
my half sister who was raised by the sperm donor and I have exchanged photographs and family photos. I don't see much of a resemblance between me and her or me and him or, you know, I don't see a physical resemblance the way I did, particularly with the ancestry half sister. But oh my God, when I see a picture of the sperm donor when he was younger and I put it next to a picture of my son's, oh my God. Yes. Mm. Yes. I see it then. In fact, she remarked that my sons look more like her father than any of his own eight grandchildren. Wow. So they gathered for his hundredth birthday. Man, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall for that. And, and again, I, you know, not possible. I'm going to respect their wishes, but I would have loved to have seen how they all interact with each other. Also taught me something about families are not necessarily just genetic. Um, their family has, uh, has adopted children, has raised children that they have not given birth to or, or fathered. So this has opened my eyes to the fact that family is who you love. And yeah. I have a wealth of family members, none of whom I'm related to, all of whom I love. And that's a pretty good thing to have amassed along the way. That DNA, interesting as it is, doesn't necessarily make family and isn't necessary for families to flourish. And they taught me that just by sharing with me, there are many family members who, to whom they're not necessarily connected by DNA. It's a nice thing to know. Yeah, that's a really beautiful perspective. And the obligation I had felt along the way to, you know, it's solely on my shoulders to perpetuate the entire Jewish people because <laughs> I'm the weakest link. Yeah. That went away. I mean, that was, that was a, a burden lifted. Who else in your raised family or immediate life, your day-to-day -day life knows about this? Oh, gosh, everybody. <laughs> Strangers on the street. I mean, as you well know, talking it through is very helpful toward processing it. My father had, uh, had a, just a handful of, not even a handful, of distant cousins who had survived the Holocaust. Among survivors, because there was so little family left, these distant cousins became as if they were aunt and uncles. Okay. So, so I, you know, I had a family that I thought I was related to, and it didn't matter how distant the relation was, but now to learn that I'm not related to them by blood at all, I had always thought of myself as the small American remnant of what is now a large Israeli family. And they helped raise me too. After my mother died, I was sent there back and forth for summers. And they were very much uh, the closest things I had to the older brothers that I pined for. And now to find out that there's no genetic connection was a little bit jarring. Mm -hmm. um, they have since assured me that, of course, we're still cousins. Hmm? Okay. How do you feel about that? A little detached. I'm still processing that. Yeah. The, the initial shock of learning this is like a punch in the gut. And I was indeed, I wouldn't say a basket case. I was useless to anybody and everybody for at least 
I would say the next four weeks. I could think about nothing but this. Mm-hmm. And now it's just, you know, I- I've integrated enough of it so that, yes, I've returned to being fully functional. I still talk about this probably too much, but it's all part of the process. It's also a fascinating story, but I didn't share the grief and trauma that you and others have experienced. Mine was not necessarily, it wasn't a loss per se. It was sort of a a gain that was just outside of my reach. Yeah. And my story's not over yet. So when you say that you talk about it too much, what do you mean by that? I've asked myself recently, of all the people I've told this story to, if this story had happened to any of them, would they have told me? So, and also some of the reactions I've gotten have been, well, you know, I I wouldn't be out there telling that story. Oh, okay. You're not me. Yeah. Interesting. And also I'm, I'm, I'm a lover of a good story to, to tell and to hear. And this is a good story. It is a good story on that, on that note your story has changed. So you went from believing that you were the only child of two Holocaust survivors to being still a child of a concentration camp survivor, but also a fresh out of med school physician who I imagine has has gone on to do well for himself. Quite. And, and was, yes, still is still up and kicking and was practicing medicine and you know, into his 90s. Yeah. How has that change in your identity affected you? I will give you an example. As I was growing up, our family doctor um, was a German Jew who had escaped um, Nazi Germany before uh, the Holocaust. He adored my parents and um, did everything he could to help them in this journey. And I'm sure that he's the one that Uh, referred them to the fertility specialist. He had a daughter about my age and we became just best friends and and schoolmates and just in and out of each other's houses all the time. And her mother would call my mother after every report card. And one marking period, I did better than she did. I remember on learning this, the doctor's wife, the mother of my childhood friend, said to my mother, Oh, well, my daughter will overtake her next marking period. After all, she's the child of of a doctor. And you people, you know, never even graduated high school. Wow. And my mother was was incensed at that. Well, fast forward, um, I am the child of a medical professional. And I don't know what that says about intelligence being passed on. Um, I've always been proud of the survivor genes that I've had. And in order to survive, you had to have some degree of street smarts. I always yeah. thought that maybe that's what I've inherited. But no, now it has equalized me in my mind to anybody, any offspring of anybody has the potential, um, whether they know it or not, to uh, achieve. And I mean, how elitist can you get? Yeah. Yeah. Saying, you know, your parents are poor immigrants, so of course you're not going to do as well in school. Wow. I will hold my professional uh, accomplishments up against anybody's any day. In a way, I wonder if 
um, the half-sister who contacted me immediately. I wonder what she would have done had she listened to the advice of some of your um, interviewees about, you know, just sit with it for a while and just see how it feels before you reach out. Mm-hmm. I, I'm glad she reached out. I'm glad she didn't have second thoughts about that. Or maybe she had subsequent second thoughts, but I've gotten quite a gift from her, which is um, the knowledge that she's provided. Yeah. Which I didn't even know I was missing. Right, right. So it's, it's, yeah. And I'm, I'm very interested in this because your parents, you knew that they went to a fertility doctor. Um, always, yeah. Yep. So they were open about that. Uh, so what advice would you offer a parent who might be keeping a DNA surprise from their child? The same advice that others in your podcast have offered, which is tell the truth. It can be handled. I'm just uncertain if my parents ever knew the truth. I mean, did they just go and receive some magic hocus pocus treatment that they didn't realize contained donor sperm? I don't know. It Back then it was done anonymously. No records were kept. Cash payments were made. I... This never would have come to light without commercially available DNA tests. Um, Now that those are a thing, I can't imagine any parent not sharing the information with their child as their child, you know, matures enough to handle it. There should be moving forward, not to put you out of business, but there should not be DNA surprises in the future. Oh, I agree. I agree 100%, Lori. (laughs) I would love to be put out of business. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no no secrets. There yeah. there should be no secrets as the child is able to handle it. And and what advice would you offer someone who's in your position and has just learned that they're an NPE? Go to the edge of what you know and sit there for a while. Let I let it love that. let it percolate. How you feel when you first learn about this does not need to guide how you act. How you proceed should be done with a little bit more deliberation than maybe you have initially. How many secrets get blurted out with no forethought? I'm not sure that that's the best way. <laughs> um, but you know, take take the time you need to digest what it is you've learned, even if you have to put it on the back shelf and pull it out three years later when you take a different test. Yeah. Also, also. It's okay to take multiple tests. Mm. I mean, I, th- I think I would, if and when I ever contact the families I learned about on the Ancestry site, I think I will absolutely uh, encourage them to go to a different platform, uh, 23andMe or whatever is out there, and see what you uncover there. Because the only thing you're going to uncover is information that other people have provided with their DNA. Yeah. If they're different platforms, then, you know, secrets remain secrets for even longer. I understand there's an ability to aggregate DNA information among sites, but I've not explored any of that. I think I have enough information now. Um, (laughs) I don't think I need to go exploring anymore. 
Well, Lori, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your story. I know it's it's relatively new for you, so I hope that it continues to move in a positive direction and that eventually you are able to have more of a connection with your genetic family if that's what you want and whenever you decide. Thank you. And thank you for the good work that you do. Thanks again to Lori for sharing her story. If you have a DNA surprise that you'd like to share, please email dnasurprises at gmail.com. Until next time.